Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. This is one of Deep State Radio's briefs and debriefs. Hello and welcome to another episode of National Security Magazine. I'm delighted to be joined today by Congressman Ted Lieu of California, one of the smartest, hardest working members of the Congress. He's a member of the Democratic leadership. He has an undergraduate degree in computer science from Stanford, a magna cum laude law degree from Georgetown, where he edited the Law Review. He has a background as an Air Force JAG officer, uh, as an ongoing role as a colonel in the Air Force Reserve, and extensive legislative experience in California uh, prior to his experience now on the House Judiciary and Foreign Affairs Committees. Uh, Welcome, Congressman Liu. Uh, Thank you, David, and honored to be on your show. Well, it's great to have you here. I wish there were not so much to discuss. I'd like to begin with the uh, intel hearings that were that were taking place uh, 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 shortly before we we uh, recorded the podcast, uh, and and I was struck by one of the statements um, uh, that came out of the DNI threat as- assessment. Um, it was at the same time some U.S. allies and partners are seeking greater independence from Washington in response to their perceptions of changing U.S. policies on security and trade. Now, this reads to me like a weakening of alliances and also second-guessing of a relationship that's actually been the glue that's held together the world for the past 75 years um, in many respects. And, And I'm wondering what your reaction is. Uh, Thank you, David, for that question. Uh, One of the things that we've seen happen last two years is Donald Trump uh, go ahead and not just break norms domestically, but also uh, in the international arena. And he has shocked uh, many of our allies uh, with statements he has made, actions he has taken. Uh, There is, for example, no reason to pull out of NATO other than to help Russia. Uh, There was no reason for uh, Donald Trump's uh, repeated threats uh, towards North Korea, uh, jacking up escalation. And you see him uh, continue to conduct huge foreign policy moves, whether you agree with it or not, by Twitter. And that is completely inappropriate. And I'm going to paraphrase what Secretary Mattis had said earlier, which is that uh, it is expensive uh, to keep our allies. The only thing more expensive is not having allies. So it's my hope that our allies will continue to stick with us. And I think they can see that the American people actually uh, did self-correct last November and gave control of the House of Democrats. And I think hopefully going to see a better foreign policy going forward. Well, having said that, you know, they're also seeing some strange stuff going on right now. And one of them is that in the intel hearings that took place today, uh, you know, essentially you had opening statements from uh, the participants in which their main point was to contradict the president of the United States. 
Uh, you mentioned North Korea, and one of the points was that contrary to what the president is saying about what's happening in North Korea, um, uh, the threat not only uh, exists, it's gotten worse, and they expect it to continue. Uh, you mentioned Russia, and they said, contrary to the president's uh, minimization of Russian intervention in the U.S., that has you know, been his standard line since the campaign, you know, that, that, that Russia is in the midst of an ongoing comprehensive campaign to undercut Western interests and alliances from Europe through the U.S. Uh, they mentioned also China problems there and so forth. And so, you know, one of the questions in my mind is, you know, if you're a foreigner and you're, you're, you're a foreign government, you're looking at this, you've got the intelligence community essentially calling out the president, saying the president's lying, and we have a different view. Uh, that's absolutely correct. And I uh, would have been more surprised had we not watched the same thing happen in the last two years. And there's this fascinating Washington Post article that came out last term that basically talked about how North Korea uh, hired uh, a strategic firm in D.C. to, to help them. And one of their questions was, how come administration officials keep contradicting their president? And they were generally confused by seeing that. And I think what you're seeing now is uh, people who have a conscience, uh, who are actually looking at actual facts, trying to tell the American people what is happening in their world. So let's just take one example with, with North Korea. Uh, as we sit here right now, uh, North Korea has not destroyed a single nuclear weapon. They have not destroyed a single missile. They have not destroyed anything with a chemical stockpile. And based on public reporting, they, in fact, are producing more nuclear fuel and hiding missile bases uh, from the U.S. So those are the facts as we know it. And then you have the president of the United States tweeting how he has these big successes with North Korea. And the intelligence agencies are saying, we don't see this. In fact, we see the opposite. Uh, same uh, goes with Russia. Uh, and one thing that I think was interesting about the hearing, there was a lot of talk about North Korea, China, Russia, Iran. You saw no discussion about our southern border. And it's very clear that our southern border is not an emergency. It is not a threat. And again, you have the President of the United States trying to make a threat up where it doesn't exist. So we have a very real problem uh, in the White House. And you see very high-level administration officials trying to do the best they can to educate the American people about what is actually going on. But it you know, raises an interesting question, because their silence on the southern border uh, may actually have a legal, legal consequence, right? I mean, you're the lawyer, but it seems to me that if the president suggests that there's an emergency uh, and, you know, the, 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 the lawsuits that follow that uh, are able to point out that not only has this emergency been postponed throughout the first two years of the administration until it was, uh, you know, politically expedient for them to raise it. But the, 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 Nash, the leaders of the president's own national security team don't seem to think it's an emergency. So they, I mean, in some ways they're kind of pulling the rug out from him when it comes time to challenge that, right? Uh, that's absolutely right. And my view is even a conservative Supreme Court is going to have to deal with the actual facts. And it's not even just administration officials. Donald Trump's own words uh, last year, he actually tweeted out that border crossings were at a 45-year low, and he was congratulating Border Patrol agents. And if you look at that, you think, well, how could we have a national emergency when you have that fact? 
in addition, if you look at just crime in general, uh, the latest FBI data shows that violent crime is down across the United States. Property crime is down. And study after study shows that immigrants, both documented and undocumented, commit less crime. So I think the judicial branch will look at all of this, and I think the administration will lose in court. I believe that's one reason Donald Trump has not, in fact, declared national emergency yet, because he understands it's a very uh, low probability chance of success for him. Yeah, it's kind of a desperation move. It's, it would seem to me that were he to do that in a few weeks, it is only because he, he he would recognize that another shutdown would be catastrophic for his plummeting ratings and for his party. And furthermore, uh, you know, it would be a way that he could sort of prune this issue, which is proving to be a loser, out of the debate, get some kind of a deal on the rest of the budget, push it to the courts, and later blame the courts. Uh, for the problem and and bring it up in 2020, right? I mean, it seems like that's that would be the only logic behind that strategy. Although I'm I'm reluctant to suggest logic drives many of the president's I, views. I think he would do it to save face. Um, I, there's really no good rationale for saying there's a national emergency, and a lot of Republicans, both in the House and Senate, are also opposed to it. So I think he would only do it uh, to save face, uh, which is a pretty powerful motive. Uh, so my sense is, if no deal is reached in three weeks, that he will declare a national emergency. Uh, all right. So another um, uh, thing that came up in these hearings this morning is an issue that you know, might in a different world be towering over all the others. In this world, it's just one among many. Um, but you had the uh, director of central intelligence saying yet again that the murder of Jamal Khashoggi, a, a reporter for the Washington Post, was a premeditated murder, to use her terms. Um, and, you know, question arises to me as we think about it, and we know about how close, for example, Jared Kushner is with uh, um, uh, Prince Mohammed bin Salman in, in, in Saudi Arabia. And, the, you know, uh, the, that prince has said that Kushner's in his pocket uh, and that Kushner has been the kind of MBS whisperer. Um, one of the questions that I have, and I'm just wondering whether you think congressional oversight is going to get us any closer to this, is what did the U.S. know before the murder, was there any kind of tacit uh, okay for proceeding with it? What were the actions in the wake of the murder? Because all these things seem to me to be pretty grave, uh, uh, and and particularly when taken in sort of uh, conjunction with the president's overall fondness both for dictators and for measures that suppress the press. Uh, so here's a little bit of breaking news, the House Foreign Affairs Committee today constituted itself, and we also created a new subcommittee specifically on oversight. Uh, I'm going to be one of the members of the Oversight Committee of the Foreign Affairs Committee, and we are going to look into this very exact issue about possible financial ties um, between members of the Trump administration and foreign countries, and it is very jarring to see the Trump administration's very weak response to what essentially was their torture and murder of Khashoggi, a U.S. resident, in a Saudi embassy. And it was such a brazen, uh, shocking crime that I think you even have Republicans now thinking, okay, we need to do something about this, which is one reason why I think this issue of Yemen is becoming more and more 
uh, in the public's eye. I had worked on the Yemen issue uh, since the Civil War started uh, th- about three years ago, and now we have Republicans interested because they see the harm that Saudi Arabia is doing, and Khashoggi's killing highlighted that. So I'm also going to be introducing legislation very shortly to uh, get the U.S. out of Lemon. Uh, out of Yemen, and I'm a co-author also of a uh, war powers resolution that Representative Vo Khanna has uh, uh, done last term and will do again on getting the U.S. out of Yemen as well. So, so that would suggest to me that among the areas where we're looking at these financial ties are Gulf countries like Saudi Arabia, like the UAE, who've been behind uh, the intervention in Yemen, but who've also been implicated in uh, some of the Mueller investigation, uh, because I think there was a, a message that went out pretty early on as Trump became the candidate, that this was a transactional guy, and that it became possible through understanding his interests uh, economically to, to potentially influence uh, U.S. outcomes. And there was a there seemed like there was a kind of a major effort not just Russians, but Saudis, Emiratis, and others, uh, Turks, to to uh, say, well, how do we, you know, or even the Chinese with the uh, strange series of of trademark uh, announcements that uh, they've made with regard to Ivanka Trump's supposedly non-existent company, uh, it, 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 it essentially seems like at a certain point, a for rent sign went up at the White House uh, in terms of U.S. policy, uh, and we're now seeing a, a bunch of consequences of that. Do you think House oversight can um, bring to light the real underlying transactions, and do you think it can have an effect? Do you think it can change what's happening? We're definitely going to try our best. Uh, we do have subpoena power now, so that can be a very powerful tool. We hope that administration officials would voluntarily testify and provide documents, but if not, we do have the ability to subpoena witnesses, compel testimony, and subpoena documents. I think you're absolutely right about the signals the Trump administration sent. It was very clear that these foreign countries realized that the American presidency was for sale. And it is, first of all, bizarre when you think about it. Why would the American president, with his first trip, not go to Canada or Mexico, as other presidents have done, but go to Saudi Arabia. Uh, that was uh, pretty strange. And then when you look at some of the public reporting where the crown prince says that uh, Jared Kushner is in his hip pocket, what what would cause him to say that? And so these are things we're going to look into on the Oversight Subcommittee of Foreign Affairs. And you also see If you look at the Mueller investigation, one of Robert Mueller's first hires was an expert in money laundering. And so we have both the Mueller investigation potentially looking at different issues, but Congress itself will also look at some of these potential financial ties. Yeah, no, I had a conversation uh, with your colleague, Eric Swalwell, in which he indicated that he thought money laundering, even beyond the scope of what Mueller was looking at, was going to be a high priority. Do you think there are other areas beyond the scope of Mueller uh, that are going to be priorities for the Congress? Yes. Uh, So money laundering actually might be within a scope, depending on if it's related to to Russia or, or Russian collusion. Now, the charge of the congressional committees is different than special counsel Mueller's investigation. Their special counsel's office is 
looking at whether crimes occurred and whether they should indict people. Congressional committees have a different role. We want to, first of all, find out what happened. Second, disclose it to American people. And then third, provide recommendations or legislation as to how we prevent this from happening again. So it's a much broader mission that we have, and we're going to uh, pursue that actively. And the American people are going to see what they did not see last term, which is a House of Representatives that is a separate and co-equal branch of government and acts that way. As opposed to the House of Representatives that under your other colleague, Devin Nunez, seemed to be a PR agency for the White House and shuffling papers back and forth behind the scenes between uh, the president and and the House committees. Uh, Do you anticipate that the uh, minority is going to play along in this new environment, or are they going to continue to be obstructionist? I think they're going to still try to be obstructionist just based on what happened on in the House floor today. Uh, the Republicans, you know, did a motion to adjourn, which is quite silly. It caused every member of Congress to have to drop what they're doing, go to the floor to vote no on the motion to adjourn, and it's silly stuff like that. What was what was their object? What what was the objective? What were they trying to stop? I don't even know, and it's. Um, one of those things where they will do this just to muck up people's schedule. And you mean this is like this is like eighth grader pulling the fire alarm in the middle school, right? It it just it's going to screw up everything, but it, yeah. there's no purpose. Right. I was going to be a little more charitable and say it's like high school, but middle school. <laughs> no, it's fine. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay. Um, well, let me ask you about another area where this kind of. Um, transactional presidency uh, meets some of the scandals that we're talking about, meets some bizarre behavior. Um, uh, And that has to do with the case, the strange case of Oleg Deripaska, um, a Russian oligarch who was the employer of Paul Manafort, who is very close to Putin, um, uh, who was allegedly involved in in efforts to influence the U.S. uh, election uh, uh, outcomes, uh, and who was the subject of sanctions until very recently when the Treasury Department said, no, we've cut a deal with him and uh, uh, his involvement in these companies has changed in a material way and therefore we can lift the sanctions. However, they didn't really discuss the rationale for their decision with many people. And when a little bit of scrutiny took place, it, it appears Deripaska still maintains control of these companies, still will be enriched enormously by these sanctions. And it, to me, what's the most bizarre thing is it's clear that Paul Manafort got hired during the campaign by Deripaska to achieve this goal. Manafort got fired from the campaign, became the center of a scandal, has been convicted of crimes, is in jail, and yet somehow he achieved his goal. <laughs> you know, this is something's something's wrong here. Is is, is can that can 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 the house go and 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 dig a little bit deeper and see how it is possible that we arrived at this outcome? Uh, absolutely. In fact, uh, the chairs of financial services, uh, intelligence, ways and means and oversight just sent a letter out on this exact issue. And they are going to look into what happened with the lifting of sanctions on Deripaska. One of the remarkable things to me about Donald Trump is that he will do things publicly. And my view is just because it's public doesn't mean it's 
not criminal or inappropriate. Uh, so, for example, he went on national TV and said he fired Comey because of the Russia thing. Uh, that's obstruction of justice, in my view. And then in terms of Russia, he continues to make pro-Russian statements, such as getting out of NATO. He, uh, Trump also will do things like lifting sanctions on Putin's friend. Why would he do that? He also did not want to sanction Russia at all for the election interference in 2016. He only did it because Congress, with large bipartisan majorities in both the House and Senate, forced him to. So you have a president that continues to show bias in terms of being very pro-Russian. And you couple that with his initial denials of how there were no Russian contacts that he or his administration had and that he had nothing to do with Russia. And now we know that that's all false. Uh, Then it makes you wonder, and I'll quote what Nancy Pelosi recently issued uh, earlier, which is, you know, what does Putin have on Donald Trump? And I think that's a very reasonable question to ask when you look at what we know from the public reporting and the actions of Donald Trump. Well, it also produces this kind of strange circumstance where, uh, again, referring to the intelligence uh, hearings today, uh, the Trump-Putin meeting in Helsinki came up and uh, Director of National Intelligence Coates uh, said that he wanted to go into a closed session to discuss the substance of that meeting, a meeting which, by the way, immediately afterwards, he reported that he had not been briefed on the substance of uh, and said it was because they were particularly sensitive. Uh, as a, as Just as a citizen, not to mention as a former government official, when I see this, I think it's a little bit strange that all of this ends up outside uh, the, 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 the purview of the public, since this is essentially the, the central issue uh, of the legitimacy of the Trump presidency, of big threats, uh, and, and, and nobody in the, in the public has any idea what that meeting uh, was about? Not just the public, but Trump's own administration officials. If you uh, look at the public reporting, he was um, trying to keep, and in fact may have kept, uh, several of his conversations with Putin um, away from even his own administration officials. So no one has any idea what transpired between Putin and Trump with some of these conversations. And why would Donald Trump not even want his own administration officials to know what they talked about? Uh, That is very troubling and sets off all sorts of red flags. So Congress, through our committees, will um, call witnesses in and testify when they subpoena documents, and we'll see later this year if we can get to the bottom uh, of some of these red flags. And and where are you in terms of uh, you know the note takers' notes and that kind of thing? Uh, so I know that different committee staff are, are looking into it. Um, so can't give you an answer quite yet, but I know we're very interested in trying to find out what happened in that meeting with likely the only other person that may not that may know what happened in that meeting. 
Okay, so let me let me just take a, a step back a little bit further. A lot of this has to do with the Mueller investigation. Clearly, uh, that's a, a a big subject of interest in the United States. But when you look at the president of the United States and the issues before him, I think there's something like 17 investigations. You have the Southern District of New York uh, with investigations that involve you know Michael Cohen and some of those revelations. You've got uh, the prospect of other different congressional investigations. Um, and and we don't know where Mueller is going or how far it's going to go. And, and and as you look at this constellation of things, how 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 would you advise the average, you know, uh, a citizen listening, to to view the Mueller thing? Because I think there are a lot of people who say, well, either Mueller says there was conspiracy against the United States (parenthesis collusion), or Trump's in the clear. You know, and it, it seems binary, but to me, it seems that that's misleading. Well, the first thing I think that uh, the American public should know is that no one is above the law. And one reason I have, I think, more hope than uh, some of my colleagues, and this was even before last November's election, is that we have an ongoing criminal investigation of the Republican president being led by Republicans in the Republican-controlled Department of Justice. That's still pretty extraordinary. I don't think a lot of countries would have been able to have this still happen. So that still gives me faith in many of our institutions. And second, I do know uh, that people in Special Counsel Mueller's office and the FBI Department of Justice, they're all very aware they took an oath to the Constitution. Uh, They did not take an oath to any particular party or an individual or the president. And I think they're going to honor their oaths and they will uh, do the right thing. And if you look at the Mueller investigation itself, it has already indicted 37 people, six of which are close associates of Donald Trump. And Republicans and Trump like to talk about how they you know, want to run government like a business. I simply note that any CEO that has had six of his associates indicted uh, would have been fired by now or would have resigned. Yeah, well, that's certainly true. But, you know, this CEO uh, has a has a, a forgive me, a Trump card in that. And that's Mitch McConnell in the Senate, because his belief is that the only way that he can be removed from office or impeded in a real way is an impeachment. And while the House might vote for it. Uh, McConnell is a master at getting the Senate to do his bidding. Uh, and, you know, uh, as we've seen in the past, a, a House impeachment vote uh, without a conviction in the Senate is is meaningless. And so, you know, do you think that, you know, this is a, a strategy that's likely to hold up? Or do you actually think that there are circumstances you can imagine in which, uh, the Republican majority w- or or a su- sufficient number of Republicans would join with Democrats in the Senate to to vote to convict, or is that that just out of the realm of possibility? I think it would depend on what the facts are. So, in the House Judiciary Committee, including the other committees as well, we're going to start holding hearings to create a record. Uh, so, we're going to hold hearings on obstruction of justice. Uh, on abusive process, on abusive power and witness intimidation. And right now what we have are a lot of newspaper articles and things on Twitter and things you see on TV. But 
when it comes to issues of impeachment, you have to create a record. So we're going to bring in witnesses under oath, when it's subpoenaed documents. And at the end of that process, then we can make a decision. And we also help bring the American people along with us. And either it's going to exonerate Donald Trump uh, and his associates, uh, or it's not. Uh, so we'll know later this year, I think, uh, how to proceed. But in the beginning of this year, we're going to start holding these hearings to create that record. It, it is kind of remarkable circumstance, though, you know, as you sort of sit back and imagine it, that the president of the United States has been implicated in a finding in a New York court in uh, uh, paying hush money off as part of an effort to defraud American voters in an election, which is a felony. Um, he has been uh his 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 uh, foundation in New York has been effectively shut down because of abuse. Um, there was the, the most massive report I've ever seen out of the New York Times detailing tax fraud from this president of the United States. It seems like we've gone from the constitutional uh, precept that a president should be removed for high crimes and misdemeanors to 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 seeking a number like Trump needs to have 10 high crimes and misdemeanors before he's going to be removed because ah. you know he he can get away with the first three or four it's it's a, it's a strange situation eh it is and when you look at what's happened in the last two years it's almost shocking the the number of scandals uh, that have occurred now you know, I think it would be wrong to say that this has had no effect on, on Donald Trump. I think it's had a huge effect. Uh, he is now uh, at the lowest approval rating of any president uh, in U.S. history uh, at this point in time. He um, also has not been able to get a lot of things done because of all these scandals. Uh, it is very distracting. So in the last two years, it was distracting in a good way because Republicans couldn't get very much done because they're constantly responding to all these different scandals. Um, we hope we can be different this term. We're both going to do oversight, but also uh, push legislation to move America forward. So, for example, the first hearing in the House Judiciary Committee, thank goodness, was not on Hillary Clinton's emails. It was actually on H.R. 1, which is legislation that would protect voting rights, reform or campaign finance laws, and also root out corruption. So we're going to pass affirmative legislation uh, to move America forward, including H.R. Uh, 8, which is going to go through Judiciary Committee. That's on background checks for guns. And I think we're going to be able to do both this term, both uh, move America forward with positive legislation and hold hearings to find out what happened and to hold the administration accountable. And, and that you knew all along that Nancy Pelosi was the badass that she's turned out to be. It was. It was. It's not a surprise to you that she has turned out to be the sheriff in Washington in the way that she has been, uh, or are you even you a little bit uh, surprised? Because from my perspective, the past five six months of Nancy Pelosi's career, she hasn't hit a wrong note. She's just been doing a remarkable job, and I think that it's it's brought the House into the position that you're talking about, where it's actually both able uh, to deal with oversight and the enormous scandals we're facing, and at the same time, governing. A Speaker Pelosi is extraordinary, and it's just an honor to uh, be in the same Congress with her. I'm also very pleased my colleagues elected me 
uh, in December to the House leadership team. So I'm with her in House leadership meetings, and it's amazing to watch her work. Uh, she um, is not only a leader, but she's able to keep our entire Democratic caucus unified. And, uh, I mean, that is a hugely difficult job because it's worse than hurting cats, right? Um, not only we like cats, but we're like cats with an ego. And so you've got all these <laughs> members of Congress that all believe uh, they have the right strategy and to keep all of us unified is an amazing ability. She's shown it uh, in getting the Affordable Care Act passed. Uh, she showed it in holding the line last term against a lot of the stupid things Republicans wanted to do. And she showed it again uh, during uh, this government shutdown, forcing Donald Trump to cave. Yeah, but by the way, I thought one of the things that she has shown it in that, that it seems like a kind of an obvious way to do it, but nobody had been doing it as well as she is, is just simply insisting on facts. When the president sits opposite her and says things that are nonsense, she'll just say, no, that's not true. And that is very deflating to him and to his team because they've been relying on this kind of constant flow of lies, deception, and distortion uh, to mask either incompetence, corruption, um, or, or simply a failure to get anything done. And that's that, that it, the, the, you know, putting, putting facts back at the center of the discussion is not a small accomplishment. That's absolutely correct. And one of their disappointments I've had, uh, is to see how we now, uh, have not just Donald Trump, but also his, rational administration folks start to enable him, and then they themselves start to take actions uh, that are not normal or, or uh, ignorant. So, for example, um, last year, uh, Secretary of Homeland Security Nielsen came to the House Judiciary Committee, and I asked her some very simple questions, and she did not know that violent crime had dropped across the United States. Uh, she did not know that property crime had also dropped across the United States. And yet she was painting this dark picture about, you know, all these problems at the southern border and, and, and on and on. And I was just thinking to myself, you know, you're the head of Homeland Security and you don't know these basic facts. It was very, very disturbing. So um, when you couple that with um, Fox primetime, which I call state media, it really leads to a different reality where they're not operating on facts. They're simply operating on either opinion or um, what appear to me to be racist and bigoted views. Well, let me ask you two more questions, brief questions, and we'll wrap up, uh, both sort of on recent developments. Uh, one, in, in this sort of general area of facts, yesterday we were treated to the uh, experience of hearing from our acting attorney general, uh, who seemed to be suffering from some tropical disease, uh, sweating profusely, and and then opining on the state of the Mueller investigation uh, and saying it was going to be over soon. But then, you know, in watching him say it, I, I got the distinct impression that he was just kind of guessing, you know, that he, he didn't really know. Now, do you think he really knows? And how much do you think he really knows? First of all, I think his comments were wildly inappropriate. You should not be commenting on an ongoing criminal investigation. There are very good reasons why you don't want to publicly discuss a timeline, because it sends all sorts of different signals to uh, current and potential witnesses and targets. 
And the special counsel's office, as they demonstrated recently, uh, can't speak for themselves. Uh, so I thought it was really inappropriate for Acting Attorney General Whitaker to say what he said. Also, when you sort of look at the videotape, it's not clear he really knows what he's talking about. And I don't even know why he's overseeing the investigation in the first place. Uh, he clearly has a bias. Uh, he went on national TV um, and basically said he wanted to uh, figure out ways to defund uh, the special counsel's office. So he should not even be in this position at all. And I do look forward to questioning him on February 8th when he, he appears under oath in open hearing in the House Judiciary Committee. Uh, well, certainly I have an opportunity to learn more about the hot tub business than perhaps you knew, um, given his background in that area. Uh, but uh, as, a, as a final question, um, recently, I mean, I, you know, there have been a number of people who've entered into the, the Democratic uh, race for president in 2020. It seems, you know, though every election we, we say is the most important election of our time, this one actually is kind of existential for elements of, of, of U.S. democracy, which are under siege right now, as well as U.S. global leadership. Um, and you uh, did something fairly unusual uh, this early in a race, and you, then you stepped up and you endorsed uh, Kamala Harris, who had an extraordinary launch of her campaign, has done extremely well in raising money, and seems to, uh, to my view, sort of capture uh, the zeitgeist and also present a kind of a new generation of democratic leadership. And I'm wondering if you could explain a little bit why you did what you did. Sure. Uh, I've known Kamala for many years. We've worked together on various issues, um, including bail reform, which I think is an issue that needs more highlighting. And I endorsed her because she is smart, she's tough, she's progressive, and she is exactly the person we need to lead America in 2020. Uh, my view uh, is that as you know, the primaries uh, start heating up uh, next year, you'll see uh, Kamala's qualities, and uh, she is an extraordinary leader. Uh, she has empathy, which is hugely important because Donald Trump doesn't have any, and she has the ability to bring uh, wide varieties of people together. Yeah, well, I, I, you, you make a compelling case. I've been struck by all of those things as well. Uh, I, I also think it's extremely important that over the course of the next two years, uh, the Democratic Party is able to step forward and provide voices of leadership in counterpoint to that of Donald Trump so that he does not simply have the stage to himself during this crucial period of the next two years. The candidates will provide that, uh, but so will people like you. Uh, and I think anybody who listened to this uh, podcast will come away with the understanding why you are one of the most respected and fastest rising leaders in the Democratic Party. And I'm very glad that you could join us. And I, I hope that you'll uh, perhaps join us again sometime soon. Oh, thank you for your kind words. We're happy to join you again. And thanks for having me on your show. All right. Thank you very much. Ladies and gentlemen, if you want to know more about what we are doing, uh, certainly go to deepstateradionetwork.com. Uh, our other podcasts are available there, uh, daily briefs, uh, news articles. Uh, we're trying to provide 
uh, 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 coverage of this wide range of issues and uh, programming like this one. This interview with uh, Congressman Ted Lieu is exactly uh, an example of, of, of what we're trying to achieve. Uh, thank you very much. Deep State Radio is a production of the Deep State Radio Network, a division of TRG Interactive Media. Our podcast today was produced in cooperation with Goat Rodeo Productions and was supervised by Ian Enright. Join us again for another episode of Deep State Radio. If you don't, we know where to find you.